Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open it with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We will pause this morning our study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, Lord willing, we'll return to that uh, in Sundays to come. But this morning as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper together, 2 Samuel chapter 9 is certainly a wonderful passage to lead us into that. Uh, This week, as we know, we will celebrate Thanksgiving, although for some of us it will perhaps be differently than how we have done in previous years. Regardless of all that 2020 has thrown our way, there's still much for us to be thankful for. And as we gather in Thanksgiving this week, uh, we will remember God's faithfulness and our blessings with family and friends, and we'll enjoy some of our favorite dishes together perhaps as we gather around the table. I think for many of us, it's those favorite dishes that highlight uh, this Thanksgiving celebration. As Baptists, we often joke about our eating, even though we haven't been able to do as much of it this year. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not gathering for our faith family Thanksgiving dinner tonight, uh, but we wish we could, for we enjoy gathering around the table and all the wonderful meals. Someone once remarked, you know you're a good Baptist if you believe you're supposed to take a covered dish to heaven with you when you die. Uh, Certainly a lot of our memories, uh, for those of us who grew up in the church, uh, we can remember the wonderful meals that the church family often shared. We often focus on food a good deal in our lives and even within the church, and there's a sense in which we're justified in doing that. It's fascinating to me the frequency of which dining and food uh, appear in Scripture, When you go all the way back to the very beginning, in fact, it was there in the garden with the fall of mankind into sin that with Adam and Eve, part of that was brought about with what they were allowed to eat and not eat in the garden. In one sense, we could say it was eating that got us into the mess that we're in today. The nation of Israel, they marked their supernatural delivery from Egyptian bondage there in the book of Exodus with the Passover meal. That would forever mark their calendar. And the Lord would go on to add an additional six feasts uh, for their calendar to remind them of his blessings and faithfulness. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, he spoke of the coming Messiah using culinary language. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend for your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Oh, the Lord there is using the imagery of feasting and eating, of enjoying fine food to call us to himself. The idea of eating wasn't lost on Jesus either. 
Three times the gospel writers detail the ministry approach of Jesus. They, they give us his ministry philosophy. They use the phrase, the Son of Man came. And they describe how he would go about ministering. Listen to what Mark said. Mark said in 10, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Luke said in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And then hear how Matthew describes the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 19, 11, the Son of Man came, it's the same phrase, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. What a way to describe the ministry of Jesus. And apparently, he was pretty good at that last approach. On at least 10 occasions, Luke records meals in his gospel that Jesus shared with others during his earthly ministry. Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of being a glutton and a drunkard. Well, it's hard to have those labels even thrown at you unless you're spending a lot of time engaging in those particular activities. This has led some Bible scholars and theologians to say that Jesus literally ate his way through the Gospels. Jesus loved a good meal. But when we understand that and given that approach of Jesus, it should be no surprise to us today that Jesus has given the church a meal as well. That he's given us the Lord's Supper. He's given us this communion table. A sacred supper as a means to remember him and the gospel. And today as we prepare to share the Lord's Supper together, as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table, I want us to consider a story from 2 Samuel 9. There's no textual connection to the Lord's Supper, but there's certainly a thematic one. 2 Samuel 9 is the story of King David displaying kindness to a man named Mephibosheth. It's about dining at the king's table. There are numerous stories in the Old Testament. Many of you can remember the stories you learned as a child in Sunday school. Jonah and the well, the three Hebrew young men in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, and on and on and on we could go. But I believe, for me personally, 2 Samuel 9 is my most favorite story. It's a gospel story, as they all are, but 2 Samuel 9 paints it in a most dramatic and beautiful way. Let me give you the background before we read the text this morning. Let me remind you of the characters that we will see. Of course, David, we understand who he is. He's the king over Israel. And in 2 Samuel 9, he's now ruling, having brought peace in part to the nation. He's ascended to the throne, having followed Saul, the first king of Israel, who was rejected by God and replaced by David. Uh, we also have in the text today the man with the interesting name, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul and son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul, and Jonathan and David, King David, were exceptionally close friends. Even as Saul grew very antagonistic toward David, even as he sought to take the life of David, Jonathan remained faithful in his friendship with him. So much so that in 1 Samuel 18, we see Jonathan and David uh, establishing a covenant with themselves, uh, that they will look out for each other and care for one another and watch over one another. 
Well, Jonathan had a son, and that son would be Mephibosheth. He was the grandson of King Saul, son of Jonathan. And we learn in 2 Samuel chapter 4 that Mephibosheth suffered a very terrible injury when he was just a young little boy. What we read about in 2 Samuel 4 is that Saul has uh, lost his life in battle. Jonathan has lost his life in battle. Uh, they were defeated by the Philistines, and now the Philistines are advancing into Israel. They're coming near to where uh, the palace and the house of Saul and Jonathan would have been. And Mephibosheth is there. And Mephibosheth, even though he was young, he was left in the care of an attendant, of a nurse. And as news reaches, as news comes to them that, hey, the enemy is coming, the nurse decides, we've got to get this little boy out of here. And so in her haste, she picks up Mephibosheth into her arms and begins to run away as fast as she can, and then tragedy strikes. In her haste, the Bible says, she, she fell, and in the fall, Mephibosheth was dropped, and in that drop, his legs were permanently crippled. It was a disability and an accident that would forever shape his life. Not only has he been cast out from the only place that was familiar to him, but now he has endured an injury that will never go away. Well, we come to 2 Samuel 9. And in 2 Samuel 9, David has now ascended to the throne. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. Mephibosheth is out of the picture. And we come to our text today. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along and hear the word of God. 2 Samuel 9 verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So here's what's going on. David is ruling now, and he remembers the covenant that he made with Jonathan, the promise that he would always look out for his house, that he would always look out for him and his family. And so he inquires, is there anyone left, anyone left in the family of Jonathan that I can show kindness to them? And the word comes back, yes, there's one the son of Jonathan, who is lame, crippled in his feet. Verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, to, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. And may the Lord bless today the reading and the preaching of his word. I believe there's two ways this text relates to us today as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper. First, by way of comparison, we too today come to a table Just as Mephibosheth was brought to the table of King David, we today come to the table of King Jesus. And we come today in a very similar fashion. We eat today as those who have been rescued and reconciled to the king. This is exactly what Mephibosheth had experienced here in 2 Samuel 9. You see, in the culture and the context of David's day, when a new king would ascend the throne, Uh, Their primary concern was to to watch out for their dominion, to secure their dynasty. And that meant if there were any uh, remaining relatives of the dynasty that preceded them, uh, they were going to do all that they could to ensure there would be no threat to their reign. In fact, they would go so far as to eliminate any males that remained that could possibly pose a threat to overtaking their throne. And that's what we would expect David to do in the situation. Oh, there's a son that's left. There's someone left in the house of Saul, in the house of Jonathan. We've got to deal with them. But instead, David remembers his covenant. David acts according to steadfast love. He acts according to the Old Testament phrase, kessed and faithfulness. And he says, I want to show kindness to this one. And so one who should have been his enemy, he now reaches out to and rescues him and brings him back to the palace, brings him back to Jerusalem and reconciles with him. Oh, the same has happened for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, we too were once enemies to a king. We too were once far away from him. We too were simply dead dogs in his sight. Did you hear the language that Mephibosheth used? I'm but a dead dog in your presence. Who am I that you should have regard for me? Who who am I that you should consider me? Oh, we're no different. But yet today we come to the king's table. We eat as enemies who have been reconciled. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on 2 Samuel 9 says, What I'm saying here is that we are the Lord's Mephibosheth. There is absolutely no reason why we should be eating continually at the king's table. But thanks to Jesus, we can. And because we're at the king's table, we enjoy all that belongs to the king. Verse 7 is really the turning point in the text. It's really the climactic moment. For there in verse 7, the king, King David, pronounces to Mephibosheth that he will have the king's protection. He tells him, do not fear, I will show you kindness. He goes on in the middle of the verse, he says, you've got my provision as well. He says, I'm restoring All that was once your grandfather's, it's now yours again. And all that you need to work that land, to bring in those crops, it's now yours. You've got my provision. Oh, I can't imagine what this must have sounded like in the ears of Mephibosheth. 
The Bible tells us that they had to go to a place called Lodibar to find him. You know what the word Lodibar means? It means pastureless. It means wasteland. That's where this once grandson to a king had been resigned to. He was living in the wastelands. He was living in an empty land. And there the king found him and brought him back to the palace and said, now you've got all you could ever want. And then in the end of verse 7, he tells Mephibosheth, you've got a position as well. You shall always eat at my table. Oh, I would submit to you this morning, this is nothing but the gospel in shadow. That through the work of Jesus Christ today, we no longer have to fear. We're no longer under the wrath of God, but now we enjoy the kindness of God. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been given the greatest provision ever. The Lord has restored our souls. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're brought into the family of king as sons and daughters of God. Oh, what a wonderful comparison the story of Mephibosheth is for us today. But there's another way to look at this story. Not only should we see it through the lens of comparison, but secondly this morning, I see us in this text through the way of contrast. Through the way of contrast. Imagine for a moment that 2 Samuel 9 is not a chapter in a book but a movie playing out on the screen in front of you. And I think if you think about it in that way with me for just a moment, you'll find the ending of the film pretty shocking. As the movie opens, we get the backstory. We have a flashback to the crippling fall of Mephibosheth when he was but a young lad. We now see him living in Lodabar. We hear David calling for one to send for him and want to restore him. We see all of that taking place. We see the climactic moment as David gives protection and provision and position. We see Mephibosheth reconciled and restored there in the city of Jerusalem. And then as the movie comes to an end and that, that last score begins to play and we know the credits are soon to roll. We've got the banquet hall of the king. And there at the head, we see King David sitting down at a table. And along the sides, we see his 20-plus sons and daughters. And there at the other end, we have Mephibosheth sitting as part of the family. The music grows a little louder, and the camera takes us to the end that Mephibosheth sits at. It zooms in upon his face and We see the joy that's expressed there, knowing that he is now taken care of for the rest of his life. And we might think that the movie would end there, that the the film would go dark and the credits would just simply roll, but that's not what happens. The divine author of Scripture says there's something else you need to know. And so while we're zooming in on his face, the camera begins to pan down ever so slowly. We get to the top of the table and we see uh, the unbelievable meal that the king has prepared for all who sit there. But the camera doesn't stop there. It goes even lower until the view is completely underneath the table. And there it zooms in one final time. And the last image that we have of the film of the story of Mephibosheth as a set of crippled feet. And the lights go dark and the credits roll. That's how 2 Samuel 9 ends. We have a beautiful plot that plays out before us. 
We have a beautiful story of redemption and reconciliation that's there in, 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 in the one who is far away coming back to the palace of the king. But did you notice how it ends? Verse 13, the last sentence. Now he was lame in both his feet. The author reminds us in this unusual fashion that the ailment of Mephibosheth still remains. While King David could do much for Mephibosheth, he couldn't cure his crippled feet, the results of a fall. But today, we come to a table. We come to a king who by his life and blood has remedied our spiritual ailment. We come to a king today who has restored our souls. We come to a king today who has made us whole. That's why we sing, it is well with our souls. Because Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our souls. That's why we sing, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here it is. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, hear me today. What King David could not do for the feet of Mephibosheth. Jesus Christ has done for our souls. He has taken what has been broken by sin, marred by a fall, and through his shed blood, he makes us new. So today we come to this table, a greater table than the one set before us in 2 Samuel 9. We come to the table as those who were once enemies to the king and crippled by sin, but through the life and blood of Jesus Christ, we now dine as his own. We eat today as children of the King, healthy and whole spiritually in Him. Let's pray.